All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Left Side of Liberty podcast. I'm Jordan Jardine. I've uh, been off for uh, a few days here, uh, thanks to Christmas. I hope everybody had a good Christmas, and uh, I hope everybody's going to have a great New Year. So on this New Year's Eve Eve, if you will, I have my usual four stories planned, uh, news stories, but before I get into that, I thought I would have a bit of fun and analyze some videos for you guys. Now, of course, you only be able to hear the audio, but you can find these videos <clears throat> on YouTube. So the first, <coughs> sorry about that. The first video that I want to go through is a video from Prager University. Now, Prager University is a YouTube channel slash media organization uh, started by Dennis Prager, who is a conservative radio host and author, and he is he's held up by the right as this super smart, profound intellectual. And, um, and I shouldn't say that about the entire right, but there are some on the right who believe that. And his channel is a goldmine of hilariously factually wrong videos. You know, you know, they're easily debunkable and, is debunkable a word? I don't know. I just made it up. So they're easily debunkable. They are, you know, I could pick them apart in my sleep. Most of the, Now, they have some halfway decent videos. Um, I don't think I've seen a single PragerU video that's 100% decent, but they have some halfway decent uh, videos. And then, so, so, okay, here's my problem with PragerU in a nutshell. What they do is they basically have three different categories of videos. They don't... I, I classify them into three separate categories. First, you have Judeo-Christian slash Western propaganda. So, essentially, it's basically Judeo-Christian and Western supremacy. That's what uh, PragerU advocates for. Like, oh, the West is so great, and uh, in the video I'm going to play for you today, which is from Dennis Prager himself, he doesn't do all the videos. In fact, most of them he doesn't uh, do, but he has on people like uh, Jordan Peterson, Ben Shapiro, um, Candace Owens, Dave Rubin, and uh, he calls all of these guys thinkers. <laughs> oh, that's laughable, man. I mean, to be fair, Jordan Peterson's pretty damn smart, and he's a psychologist, and I'm sure he's a pretty good one, you know? So so I'm going to lighten up on him a bit, although uh, 
next podcast, I'm definitely going to do another debunking PragerU segment on this podcast. And because um, you know, the, the video that he did is also pretty easily uh, debunkable. So, <clears throat> sorry about that. So anyway, uh, I'm going to, and then the, the next video I'm going to show you guys today is a clip from, I think it's Janine Pirro's show on Fox News, where she's going to bring on uh, Candace Owens and Charlie Kirk from Turning Point USA, which is Charlie Kirk's sort of uh, PragerU-ish kind of thing. Although the, I don't think they, they don't make as many videos as PragerU does. They don't have a lot of video content. They basically just talk to kids on college campuses about conservative policies and quote-unquote ideas and present them as if they're new and fresh and totally not repackaged and uh, revived talking points that could have been made by Ronald Reagan 30 years ago. (laughs) Or even beyond that, you know, could have been made by... Oh, I don't know. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt a hundred years ago, or uh, something like that. You know, the, the point is that um, over a hundred years ago, I should say. But anyway, I'm uh, getting sidetracked. So anyway, <clears throat> without further ado, and then after the videos, I'll get into the news stories. But without further ado. Let's listen to Dennis Prager and try not to laugh during it. Um, let's listen to a video that was put out <coughs> sorry, uh, a few months ago from Dennis Prager himself on his PragerU channel explaining the differences between liberals and leftists. This should be fun, shouldn't it? And, of course, it's not going to play. What's the difference between a liberal and a leftist? This question stumps most people because they think liberal and left are essentially the same. But they're not. In fact, liberalism and leftism have almost nothing in common. But the left has appropriated the word liberal so effectively, almost everyone, liberals, leftists, and conservatives, thinks they are synonymous. But they're not. Let me offer you six examples. One, race. This is probably the most obvious difference between liberal and left. The liberal position on race has always been, A, the color of a person's skin is insignificant, and B, those who believe race is significant are racists. Meanwhile, the left believes the very opposite. To the left, it's the liberal attitude toward race. It's unimportant. That is racist. That's why the University of California officially lists the statement, there is only one race, the human race, as racist. And liberals have always been passionately committed to racial integration, while the left is increasingly committed to racial segregation, such as all black dormitories and separate black graduations at universities. Okay. 
<clears throat> so, Dennis, here's what I have to say in response to that. Yes, a person's skin color should be insignificant, but it isn't to some people and in some instances. So when, so you see what he's doing there? He's twisting because, see, look, Dennis, ideally, yes, skin color should be insignificant. And the left believes that just as strongly as the, as uh, many on the right do, or at least claim to believe that race is insignificant. However, there are certain instances where race is indeed uh, a factor. A perfect example is the criminal justice system. Overwhelmingly, black people get arrested more often than white people for the exact same crimes. Drugs are a great example. If you're, I don't know, some some kid in urban like you know Detroit or Flint or um, New York City you're more likely or DC or whatever you are more likely to get uh, convict uh, or, or get arrested sorry uh, get arrested for selling maybe you know a little bag of crack or heroin or something but if you're a Wall Street, if you're like a, a, a white Wall Street worker who, you know, is snorting cocaine off of, you know, strippers and prostitutes butt cracks, then uh, you're not going to jail, you know, because you're on Wall Street. And uh, it's the same thing with uh, the drug war in general. Do you know what the original, and this is true, I'm not making this up, you can look this up yourself. Richard Nixon, uh, uh, an aide from the Nixon administration came out uh, a few years ago, or a statement was released from him a few years ago, where he admitted that, yeah, the purpose of the drug war was to lock up hippies, so poor white people, and, and black people, because poor white people and black people overwhelmingly and this is still the case to this day uh in in certain uh like blue states for instance uh they knew that the, the nixon administration knew that those people were more likely to vote democrat so they thought we'll just cheat our way and uh we'll just cheat our way through this and lock up hippies and black people so dennis well, I agree with you that a, a person's skin color should be insignificant and should be uh, should not impact their quality of life. In some instances, it does. Now, I agree with you that in some cases, some people take it a little too far and they exaggerate the um, the problem of race in America, and it is much better uh, in 2018 than in, say, 1958. It's much better, but there's still some systemic issues that keep black people behind and people 
uh, not just black people, but also Latinos. There's there's these systemic problems that conservatives, for some reason, just deny that that even exists. And Dennis, they do exist. Uh, so if you want to call me racist for that, go right ahead. But, you know, I don't see that as a racist thing. I just see that as an empirical fact. And for somebody that claims to care about empiricism and facts, you're denying that very crucial uh, fact of reality. And you're just dismissing people that even dare to bring that up. Like if you uh, dare to bring up, yeah, um, black people are overwhelmingly more likely to be arrested for the same crimes as white people. Oh, that's racist. You know, you're a racist, Jordan. You know, it's like, okay, no, uh, I'm being realistic based on the facts and based on, because I've looked at FBI crime reports, you know, and I've looked at the stats. It's, it's provable. It is a, an absolutely provable fact that, uh, that in the criminal justice system, race does play a role. So, and by the way, Dennis, on the uh, uh, on the separate black dorms and graduations thing, yes, I agree that that shouldn't be a thing. But how many colleges does that apply to? I'm sure he could cherry pick two or three at the most universities in the country that do that. But to paint it as as like a leftist orthodoxy is just patently misleading, and and it's 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 a gross generalization and a straw man of the left position on race, which brings me to a point that I was going to make earlier. There's three types of videos from PragerU. We've got, like I said, Judeo-Christian and Western supremacy, straw men of the left, and just typical right-wing talking points that they pretend are edgy and new and whatever, but again, like Turning Point USA, they're, they're the same repackaged arguments that have been used for generations of conservatives, and you know, so you're not being new and edgy. You're just, it's just not that, you know? Um, so anyway, uh, that's what I have to say about that particular part. Anyway, uh, Dennis, carry on, my friend. Two, capitalism. Liberals have always been pro-capitalism because liberals are committed to free enterprise and because they know capitalism is the only way to lift great numbers of people out of poverty. It is true that liberals want government to play a bigger role in the economy than conservatives do. But liberals never opposed capitalism, and they were never for socialism. Opposition to capitalism and advocacy of socialism are left-wing values. Three. Okay. <clears throat> so, in a couple of spots there... Dennis is actually almost correct where he says that liberals in general 
would like the government to play a bigger role in the economy than typical conservatives. That's true. Um, so so that's I'll, I'll give him a pass on that because he's basically right in uh, in that particular statement. But where he's wrong is that. <clears throat> Sorry about that. Uh, where he's wrong is the whole, oh, you know, capitalism is the only way to lift people out of poverty. Okay, but Dennis, capitalism, yes, it's not like it's lifted zero people out of poverty. It has lifted certain people out of poverty, but it's also devastated several countries, especially those who are under the thumb of the IMF and the World Bank, where they rush to liberalize their economies and make them sort of free market, try to make them free market juggernauts, and they collapse and they fail, and then the IMF and the World Bank have to bail them out again. That's just, you know, that that's just... The, uh, the way it works in some cases. So in some cases, yes, it lifts people out of poverty. But in other cases, it sinks them deeper into poverty. And it's not the only force to 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 lift people out of poverty. That's a bunch of nonsense. Um, because, look, capitalism is... It's one of those things that you hear so much about it but very few people very few people actually know what it is like adam smith for instance uh, and dennis prager brings this up where uh, he's like free voluntary exchange benefits everyone technically yes adam smith did believe that but he didn't he's not this 100% laissez faire capitalist that he's made out to be by people like Milton Friedman and Ayn Rand and Hayek and all those guys. He's not that uh, Rothbard. He's he's not a hundred percent laissez-faire capitalist. Um, he supported tariffs uh, on certain goods, and he said that some regulation uh, in some areas of the economy uh, would be necessary. Uh, to ensure that everything runs smoothly and that, you know, so it, it should be allowed. You know, so he, he was more, he wasn't uh, a 100% laissez-faire capitalist, but his, his, you know, he sounded a lot like sort of the neoliberal um economists or or, or or proponents of that economic system like a Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton type figure where, yes, you do have some regulation uh, on the economy, but mostly you do have free trade. And free trade does not benefit everyone because it leads to job outsourcing. And so instead of, you know, so business owners are like, well, why the hell are we um, paying, like, say you work at a, oh, I don't know, a an electronics 
uh, an Apple store. There you go, an Apple store. Let's say you work at, or, or an Apple factory. So you're making an iPhone <clears throat> and then uh, the Apple executives go, well, wait a minute. Why are we paying our workers, you know, X amount of dollars an hour when in China, where there's basically zero marketplace regulation and zero labor standards, you know, why don't we just uh, build it there because it would be cheaper there? So let's go to China and outsource all these American jobs to China and have them make our products for us because it's cheaper to do that. So uh, Dennis Prager is wrong in that free trade does not benefit everyone and free trade isn't even really free. Uh, and like the, the, this whole emphasis on, oh, it's a free voluntary exchange. It's like, eh, yes and no. Uh, in, so, in some ways, yes, but in other ways, no, you know, um, so, and I'll get into that, uh, at a later time, but for time's sake, let's move on to number three. Oh, and he's right that people on the left, uh, advocate socialism, but I fear what he's doing here is he's, he's twisting it to say the Democrats advocate socialism. <laughs> That's laughable, man. Oh my God, that's laughable. Um, so, and also, liberals, the, the the people that he's praising, in his in his definition, he would probably define socialism as the welfare state and everything's owned by the state. And uh, so, to a certain extent, liberals believed that, uh, but. The left, the actual left, and not the caricature of the left that conservatives like Dennis Prager like to make it out to be. The actual left believes in worker control over the means of production in a non-hierarchical and stateless society. That is what the left actually believes in. So you're right. Guilty as charged. We do believe in socialism. Our definition is just different than yours, and uh, you either don't know that or what's more likely <clears throat> uh, in Dennis Prager's case, you do know that, but you're ignoring it because that doesn't suit your narrative. So number three, nationalism, liberals believe in the nation state, whether that nation is the United States, Brazil, or France, but because the left divides the world by class rather than by national identity, the left has always opposed nationalism. So, while liberals have always wanted to protect American sovereignty and borders, the left is for open borders. When the writers of Superman were liberals, Superman was a proud American whose very motto was truth, justice, and the American way. But that all changed a few years ago when left-wing writers took over the comic strip and had Superman renounce his American citizenship to be a citizen of the world. The left has contempt for nationalism, seeing it as the road to fascism. Better that we should all be citizens of the world in a world without borders. Four. Okay. This is uh, one of the most hilarious ones that he outlines in this video because 
what he's implying again is that by the left, he's talking about the Democratic Party. Uh, Dennis, I got news for you, buddy. The Democrats do not want open borders. Now, he's probably uh, doing mental gymnastics to, to say, well, they don't want Trump's border wall. Therefore, they're for open borders. Uh, and I gave my position on the wall uh, last time, so I won't go into that again. But yeah, Dennis, they're not for open borders. The closest thing you get to open borders from Democrats is Hillary Clinton saying she wants open trade borders. Uh, so yeah, Democrats are not for open borders at all. And you know, like I said, I support loosened borders. Uh, and I wish the Democrats did as well because they're terrible on immigration too, but in the opposite direction of the way you think they're terrible. You think because they want open borders, they're terrible. No, they're pretty tough on on immigration. and But because they're not ruthless enough and because they want at least a veneer of compassion... In their immigration policy, conservatives go, oh, open borders. That's what the Democrats want. They want open borders. Uh, so, and you do realize that when Nancy Pelosi does her grandstanding and we care so much about the immigrants, that's all political theater. It's bullshit theatrics. So don't let that fool you because she doesn't actually believe it. Nancy Pelosi is an insufferable corporate Democrat, again, like 99% of the other Democrats. And she knows that that will fire up the Democratic base if she pretends to care about immigrants, when in reality, Nancy Pelosi doesn't give a rat's ass about immigrants at all. So, and also, um, even if the, uh, even if the Democrats did advocate open borders I don't necessarily see that as a bad thing since I want to get rid of this you know the statist system anyway uh, I, I don't really see that as uh, such a bad thing because I don't um, have this stereotype in my head of oh if people come over here they're just going to start committing crimes and uh, mooching off the system and whatever. Uh, maybe I'm being an idealist here, but I I don't really see that as much of an issue. Uh, or, or it doesn't. I don't have that fear that that's going to happen. I don't think that that's what's going to happen. Uh, you know, because some of these, you know, yes, some of these people are going to commit crimes. People commit crimes. That's just a. Uh, a fact of the human existence. People commit crimes. People do stupid things uh, and evil things. But this idea that if we open up our borders, we're we're gonna welcome this influx of all this uh, abhorrent activity. I just don't think that that's gonna be the case. Um, so, and also the Superman thing. That's just a petty, childish uh, example. Like, ooh, the Superman of my youth, he was such a patriot, and now uh, he he actually wants people around the world to get along and not just, 
you know, talk about how great America is and only America, you know. So that's Dennis Prager's petty, childish nitpicking there. So, uh, like I said, while the state system exists, I do support um, a, a border of some sort. So I'm sorry if I confused people there uh, with my last uh, spiel because I do support a border uh, to an extent, but ideally I do support an open border system because I believe that people have a, the right to free movement and uh, I don't believe in the concept of the nation state. So you got me, Dennis, again, guilty as charged. So anyway, uh, let's move on to number four. View of America. Liberals have always venerated America. Watch American films from the 1930s through the 1950s, and you will be watching overtly patriotic America celebrating films virtually all produced, directed, and acted by liberals. Liberals were quite aware of America's imperfections, but they agreed with Abraham Lincoln that America is the last best hope of Earth. The left, however, believes the left is the last best hope of Earth and regards America as racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic, violent, and imperialistic. Okay, that's another ridiculous uh, section there. So, basically, again, Dennis Prager is just appealing to just this weird childhood nostalgia sentimentalism thing that he claims that the left does all the time, and people of his ilk claim that the left does all the time, but... No, that's what you guys do. You yearn for the days of your childhood and uh, and you like being sentimental and, oh, wasn't everything so great when I was a kid? And, you know, so, um, so he talks about overtly patriotic films. Uh, I, I'm not really going to get into that because I don't really care about the differences between the way films portrayed America then versus the way they portray America now, which to me, quite frankly, doesn't really sound a lot different than it did 50 years ago or whatever. There's not all that much difference. So anyway, point is, so he says, oh, you know, liberals agree with Abraham Lincoln that America is the last best hope for Earth, whereas the left believes the left is the last best hope of Earth. Again, guilty as charged, Dennis. I'm sorry. But uh, that's just the truth uh, that, yes, we do believe that we are the best hope because, again, we want workers to have more freedom. We want people to have complete freedom of movement. And so you should love this because you claim to be about freedom. You should love that we want the, the freedom of workers to control their own lives and go wherever they want to as long as they don't interfere with anybody else or hurt anybody else. So... Uh, so ironically, we advocate for more freedom than Dennis Prager does as he's saying that we are the ones that are authoritarian and um, we don't want people to have a lot of freedom. So that's one piece of that. And then the other piece is, 
oh, you know, the left uh, views America as violent and uh, sexist, racist, homophobic, xenophobic, um, uh, imperialistic. Well, okay. So, no. Is America a racist country? No. Are there racists? Are there racists? In the country? Yes. So I agree with Dennis Prager that America is not inherently a racist country, although, again, like I said, there are some systemic racist uh, racial issues. Uh, we are not generally a racist country, nor are we a, uh, a homophobic country or a xenophobic country or any of the other buzzwords that he threw out there. I agree with him. We're not we're not entirely you can't paint the United States with a broad brush like that. But where he's wrong is uh well, the left believes that uh the US is violent and imperialistic. Not in every case, but in a lot of cases, in fact, the majority of cases, again, guilty as charged, Dennis. Yes, we do believe that. You're right. Uh and by the way, again, he's he is talking more about the Democratic Party uh, and, and representing them as or, or painting them as this broad representation of the left, which is really, really sad and really, really just pathetic that he thinks that that is that, that the Democratic Party represents the left in America. Oh my God! That's why I left the Democrats, you idiot! You know, like that's why that's why I left the Democrats because they are not a left wing party. Like I said, they're at best centrist. In some cases, in in most cases, I should say center right. And in Joe Manchin's case, and you know the the Blue Dogs, they're just plain right wing. So it's just it's insane and. Again, guilty as charged, yes, we do believe uh, the U.S. is violent and imperialistic because, you know, we read the news and we read history books. So, <laughs> guilty as charged, Dennis. I mean, it's just so... Uh, he's so... I, I like Kyle Kalinske, uh, his description of Dennis Prager. He's simply... He's just silly. You know, that's... That, that's a, you know, he's a silly guy. So as he pretends to be serious, he really is a silly guy. So anyway, number five. Five, free speech. No one has been more committed than American liberals to the famous statement, I wholly disapprove of what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. But the left is leading the first widespread suppression of free speech in modern American history. From the universities to the tech companies that govern the internet, to almost every other institution and place of work. Of course, the left claims to only oppose hate speech. But putting aside the fact that the left deems hate speech anything it differs with, protecting what you or I might consider hate speech is the entire point of free speech. Six. Okay. So that last one is... Uh, really the only one that he lays out of the these six differences between liberals and leftists, this is the only one that really 
is halfway decent where he makes some good points and accurate points where where yes uh hate speech does fall under the category of free free speech and absolutely should be protected as long as you're not making direct threats of violence so i i totally agree with dennis prager on that point uh and i totally agree that there are some democrats that um or, or at least democratic voters uh, that they do go overboard with wanting to protect people's feelings and uh, wanting to ban conservative speakers like Ben Shapiro, Ann Coulter uh, was another one, Milo Yiannopoulos. Yeah, so I, I agree that, that those people need to be called out. But again, to paint the entire left as this as being totally hostile to free speech is just, a, again, a gross generalization. And uh, again, he's trying to make it seem as if the Democrats represent the left in this country when, again, they don't. So his point is kind of moot in that sense. So anyway, point is, I agree with about, you know, 60 to 70% of what uh, of what he just said that, you know, hate speech should be protected and free speech is very important and is one of the cornerstones of this country and we do have pretty much the best free speech laws of 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 any country. So uh but also one one quick thing before I move on to the the sixth point he makes is Dennis you mentioned tech, not the the tech companies, but if if you got your way, the tech companies would have the right to censor your videos. You sued Google because, uh, you and you literally tried to make a First Amendment case. It's not a First Amendment case. Google is a private company; they can do what they want. You know so. Um, now, I know that there are, you know, certain loopholes where people say, oh, but they have to be, you know, they have to classify themselves as like a platform or, you know, a publisher or whatever. Uh, but the point is, is that under Dennis Prager's preferred system, which is basically a free market and almost completely free market system, they would have the right to do that and nobody could stop them. So... Uh, that kind of flies in the face of uh, Dennis Prager's whole economic ideology. So anyway, uh, number six, here we go. Western civilization. Liberals have always championed and sought to protect Western civilization. Liberals celebrate the West's unique moral, philosophical, artistic, musical, and literary achievements and have taught them at virtually every university. The most revered liberal in American political history, President Franklin Roosevelt, often cited the need to protect Western civilization and even Christian civilization. Yet when President Donald Trump spoke of the need to protect Western civilization in a speech in Warsaw, the left-wing media, also known as the mainstream media, denounced him. They argued that Western civilization is no better than any other and that Western civilization is just a euphemism for white supremacy. So then, if liberalism and leftism are so different, why don't liberals oppose the left? In a nutshell, because they have been taught all their lives 
to fear the right. But as one of the best-known liberals in America, Harvard Law School professor Alan Dershowitz said, as a liberal, as an American, and as a Jew, I far more fear the left than the right. Dear liberals, conservatives are not your enemy. The left is. I'm Dennis Prager. Okay, so that is another uh, ridiculous segment of this video. So I've never understood this obsession that conservatives have with the concept of Western civilization versus every other civilization. I've never understood that at all. Because, okay, he mentions, oh, we're, you know, the West has a uniquely moral and, and, and philosophical uh, and musical and artistic superiority uh, or implying that, that that's a superiority thing. And uh, so what I would say to Dennis is, okay, so are you saying that Eastern civilization doesn't have good music? They don't have great art? They don't have... Uh, the same values that we have where the overwhelming majority of people uh, in any country are perfectly normal people that don't hurt other people, that value their family, that take care of their families and their friends and are loyal and good, upstanding citizens. So so Eastern civilization, like when you say, oh, I'm just championing, championing western civilization the implication of that at least to me is you're implying that eastern civilization or whatever that they have different values than we have in the west it's true that there are some cultural differences between uh east and west but to imply that we have different that that we have different and by default superior um musical, philosophical, artistic, and moral values, that's just false. That's just wrong, you know? So somebody, so, so it's like, okay, so I'm from upstate New York. Does that mean that my values are inherently better? Uh, so yeah, I'm a 22-year-old kid from upstate New York. Does that mean that my values are inherently superior to uh, a 22-year-old kid in, say, Vietnam or Bahrain or um, Qatar. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like no, right? You know, so it's just that's just a weird obsession that certain conservatives have with Western versus uh, Eastern civilization or whatever. Uh, that that just, it just never made any sense to me. So that's the first part of this. Second part, he tries to imply that the media, uh, once again, this is a common talking point uh, in conservative circles. He tries to imply that the media are left-wing. And so if we're going by what he said earlier in the video that means they support socialism <laughs> oh Dennis you kill me man I mean he's very entertaining I gotta admit that and just how sure he is of his you know of his correctness you know that 
oh, I'm so smart. Oh, I've got, you know, I've got this thing figured out. Uh, Dennis, the media are run by corporations and they are corporations themselves. Uh, So how would leftism and socialism, uh, how would that uh, improve their profits? So that's what I have to say uh, about that. Now, um, the last thing I want to say about the video in general is he says, dear liberals, conservatives are not your enemy. The left is. Okay, but Dennis, you and a lot of other conservatives, you spend all this time saying, why can't we just get along? Why can't we just put aside our differences? And and then in the next breath, you say, the left is your enemy. Uh, no. I oppose conservatism in almost every policy uh, area, but I don't consider them my enemies, Dennis. I consider them uh, ideologically different from me. You know, my closest friends, in fact, at, at college are conservative guys. That's who, you know, so... And 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 very and, and to varying levels of of I don't want to say intensity, but but you know, to to varying degrees of conservatism. So so they they are not my enemy, and they don't see me as their enemy. So I don't know what you're trying to say there, because that doesn't sound like oh we want unity, we want no you know you're you're saying basically. Agree with us or we will consider you an enemy of ours. That's a very that, that's a very healthy thing, Dennis. Yeah, good luck with that. Good luck getting people to your side with that. <laughs> um, anyway, um, I'm going to play a, another video and this time it's from uh, this time it's from Janine, excuse me, <laughs> uh, from Janine Pirro from Fox News. And she's going to have on two more uh, intellectual giants, uh, Charlie Kirk and Candace Owens, uh, basically talking about how the Republican Party can appeal to millennials. So this should be fun. And then I'll get to the, uh, the news. I just wanted to ease you guys in. Ask you all by a show of hands how many of you believe that most young people identify more with liberals than conservatives what do you think 70 percent i got a few how many of you think they identify more with conservatives now wait a minute this ain't making sense nobody raised their hand for conservatives and only about 70 percent for liberals but anyway let's bring out a few people who are changing the way we think young people look at conservatism a big welcome to turning point usa founder charlie kirk turning point communications director candace owens and advisor to the 2020 trump campaign katrina pearson hi everybody welcome Hello. great to have you all here all right so 
I believe that most young people or more young people identify with liberals than conservatives. And Candace Owens, I'll start with you. Is that, do you think that's right or am I totally off base? Um, I think it is right, but it's changing. We're seeing sort of a shifting paradigm thanks to um, a lot of the efforts led by Turning Point USA um, and also the president. We have a president that actually appeals to the youth generation more. And Charlie? It's not that young people are opposed to conservative ideas. It's just they're not exposed to them at all in the first place. And, you know, Candace and I, we did a historic campus tour this last year. I think we're the only conservative duo to go to Stanford, UC Berkeley, and UCLA in a span of a month and live to tell about it. Well, and yeah, <laughs> did they try to burn the building down? I well, mean, was there any arson? Was there a 12-hour riot? Well, at UCLA, we had a little fun. A little bit of fun. They were definitely blaring Beyonce music, trying to drown out our voices but i mean it's a fight it's a cultural war we're in well, where do you think it started you know katrina you were in the 20 uh in the 2016 race i mean you were a spokesman you all recognized katrina she was a spokesman for the president um i mean why why the dissidents why is there such a, a an inability to get young people to come out and why are campuses the feeding ground for hate for people on the right well, I think Charlie's right. A lot of it is exposure. A lot of people say, well, Donald Trump has a millennial problem. And I say, no, the GOP has a millennial problem. And it is because so many people have not been exposed to conservative principles or conservative values. And those who are exposed to them, they're being preached to and not spoken to. And I think that has caused a huge disconnect with a large number of young people. Um, on top of that, you have most of the professors in the universities are very liberal. Um, and you top that off with the fake news media. 60% of millennials think Donald Trump is a racist. I'm a black woman and he chose me to represent his 2016 presidential campaign all right okay uh the video has um about three minutes to go but i just want to uh unpack a few things there so candace owens and charlie kirk uh, are arguing there well young people are more liberal because they're not uh, they're not exposed to conservative ideas I mean, in some cases, I suppose, but you're implying that, like, sixth graders are being taught to embrace Marxism and, uh, and being, you know, just indoctrinated by these ultra-left-wing teachers, and that's not the case. Um, and even if that was the case, that doesn't mean kids are going to listen, you know, like, do you know how school works? A lot of the kids, yes, pay attention, but there are some kids that could not care less about what their teachers have to say. So that's just a weird statement to make. And by teaching history, does that make them, you know, love? Yeah. Uh, America is not all bad, but we did a lot of really, really nasty shit, you know, in our history. Uh, we did horrible things. We did the Trail of Tears, Native American genocide. We did, uh, we had slavery in this country for 200 years. We had over 200 years, really. Um, we had a, you know, it, it's really... It's not a complete rosy picture, but because some people want to bring that up and educate children so we don't make those mistakes again, you know, oh, liberal bias, left-wing bias, 
you know, so um, so in, in some cases it is true uh, when people say, you know, uh, reality has a well-known liberal bias or left-wing bias. Uh, and also uh, to the point of, oh, you know, most of uh, college professors are very liberal. In a way that's true, but again, you're implying that they're like these ultra leftist orthodox you know uh hardliners and they're not they're the, a lot of them support the democratic party but they support corporate democrats more than anything and that though the corporate democrats again are not left wing sorry that's just that's just a fact and once again you're living in the very thick right-wing bubble if you actually believe that people like Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi are representatives of the left in America or anywhere else. You know, so it's like, oh my God. So, like I remember I was uh, in a class where one of my professors uh, was talking about was it plutocracy or uh, like a money money laundering, uh, the government uh, laundering money? And I said, oh that, and she and then she said, what about some organizations that that have laundered money uh, that are not governmental uh, organizations? And I said the Clinton Foundation, and she laughed in my face. She laughed. It's like. The Clinton Foundation is a textbook example of money laundering, but here comes my professor defending the Clintons, not because she's a leftist, but because she supports corporate Democrats. So it's just, it's insane. It really is insane uh, to, to suggest that there's this ultra left-wing conspiracy of this conspiracy and this cabal of ultra leftist uh educators on college campuses and in schools in general because it's not true you know yes a lot of them support democrats but that doesn't make them left wing and to the uh katrina or whatever her name is she goes oh donald trump can't be racist because uh he had a black uh you know he had me uh a black campaign advisor Oh, boy. So here we go. Classic Dodge. The whole, oh, so-and-so can't be racist because, you know, they were nice to black people that one time. But it's like, okay, but he also, there's evidence that he and his father uh, refused to sell properties to black people. They discriminated against black people uh, in their real estate dealings so that's one example right there and also when you generalize about mexican immigrants and say that well some you know some i assume are good people but then you say before that you say you know these these mexican uh illegal immigrants they're bringing drugs they're bringing crime they're bringing rape they're some of them are rapists you know, uh, that is an overly generalized picture of Mexican immigrants. 
And yeah, that's pretty racist. I'm sorry, Kristen. I know you and uh, your conservative pals like to deny that any racism exists in this country anymore, but that's just not the case. So uh, let's move on. And by the way, uh, just real quick, I'm glad that a lot of, uh, of kids in schools are not exposed to certain, certain conservative ideas because evolution is real, climate change is real, which we'll get into uh, in a bit, the climate change part. Evolution is real, climate change is real, um, the Democrats are not a left-wing party. Yes, the U.S. Ha has done uh, some really, really bad things in its past. Uh, and it's not all a rosy picture on foreign policy. Like, oh, we're the beacon of freedom and democracy. Blah, 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 blah. So in a way, yeah, I'm glad that uh, they haven't been uh, exposed to a lot of quote-unquote conservative ideas. So anyway... Ridiculous. It, it, it is. And, you know, we can pull up a, a, a poll here. Trump's popularity among young people, 69% of people aged 15 to 26 disapprove of President Trump's uh, performance as a president. Candace, I'll go back to you. Wait a minute. Isn't the economy doing great now or... Well, first Is and foremost, not? we don't pay attention too much to the polls. I mean, they told us that Hillary was going to win and they were 80% sure. And she's not sitting in the Oval Office, last I checked. Um, but look, I think that this president in particular is going to appeal a lot more uh, to the youth generation because something about him feels very uh, punk rock and rebellious. He's a rebellious president. He's rebelling against the establishment. He's rebelling against the mainstream media. Um, and it's something that we identify with when you're younger. You're sort of in a more rebellious phase. And it's something that this country needs to rebel against these socialist principles that are being taught on the left. All right. <laughs> oh, my God, Candace. Oh, she is an endless source of entertainment. I swear to God. Oh, my God. Okay. So, I agree with her that, that some polls you can't really trust. But also, have you ever thought that, uh, like, have you ever stopped for a minute to consider that some of these people that, that some of the respondents to this poll uh, are genuinely upset with Trump because of what he's done in office. So no, it's completely the polls fall. It's like, no, he's not perfect. He's done a lot of bad things, just like every other president. And no, he's not rebelling against the establishment. He is the establishment. He does the bidding of the neocons. He does the bidding of Wall Street. He does the bidding of big banks. He does the bidding of big pharma. That's who Trump is. Yes, he presented himself as, oh, I'm such an outsider, you know, I'll bust up the establishment and blah, 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 blah. I'll drain the swamp. But he hasn't done that, Candace. He lied. He lied. Endlessly. Now, there was a little bit of me that had some hope that maybe he would shake shit up a little bit, but he didn't do that, and he hasn't done that in 99.99999% of his policies. So you're just wrong, and you're also wrong that the Democrats advocate for socialist policies. What the hell are you talking about? You just made that up. You just completely made that up. Like everything else you say about politics, because... 
you don't have a sincere political bone in your body, so you have to make this—you have to make this garbage up uh, to try to appeal to uh, this demographic of people that are so anti-leftist and don't know anything about the left that they've been taught all their lives that conservatism is awesome, leftism is bad, uh, and anything that deviates from conservatism is terrible. Uh, so you're appealing to those people because they are paying you right now. They're the ones that that are allowing you to ride this gravy train that you're riding on right now. So you're trying to suck up to them and appeal to them. But it's not true that the Democrats have uh, a socialist agenda. And uh, to Janine Pirro's comment, no, uh, the economy is not doing great. We just had a major crash and and or a major plummet uh, on Christmas Eve, and uh, it, yes, it has bounced back, but the economy is not doing great. Something's going to happen in uh, the next, let's say, decade or so, and then my generation are the ones that are going to have to clean up the mess. So. The economy is not doing great, Janine. You know, it's not doing great. It's an artificial... Uh, we're in an artificial bubble. It's going to burst. And then we are the ones that are going to have to clean it up. Because Wall Street never has to clean up their messes. We have to do that. We are the ones that bail them out. Uh, they And it's so funny how these people are just like, we oppose the nanny state. We oppose... Uh, the government and, uh, you know, it doesn't government bog us down, but the minute they get in trouble, oh, government, please bail us out. You know, it's like, ah. anyway, carry on. Um, I think we have, thank you. We have a question from the audience. So looking back at the election um, this past November and the 2016 presidential election, are you seeing trends among college students going forward with voting on if they're going to vote conservative um, in this uh, 2020 election? Or are you going to see a liberal turnout for them? Charlie? So uh, the Democrats did a little bit better with younger voters in the 2018 midterms. So they did not do as well as they thought they would do. And they did not do uh, well enough to win states like Ohio and Florida. You see states like New York and California where younger voters are becoming more and more radical where they consider Nancy Pelosi to be a moderate, which is kind of horrifying to think about. You're going to see more of those Ocasio-Cortez. Charlie! Damn it! Nancy Pelosi is a moderate. She is a moderate. She loves Big Pharma. She loves Wall Street. Um, she'll throw bones to the base occasionally, and she'll pay lip service to what they want. But I got to tell you, Charlie, the Democratic base, as you alluded to, hates her. Not because, you know, you, you think she's this like ultra left wing. No, she's not. Even Kennedy uh, admitted that on uh, her own show. Kennedy has a Fox News uh, or sorry, Fox Business show even kennedy uh, uh held up nancy pelosi as an example of a centrist democrat and that's why the democrats are bleeding support because because as an ex-democrat 
I can tell you that Kennedy is right in that that's why many people are leaving the party because the Democrats are weak, spineless. They don't know how to play politics. They don't know how to fight for what the base wants. They don't know how to please their base and they don't know what the hell they're doing. They have no idea what they stand for anymore. And no, uh, Nancy Pelosi is not a radical, and neither is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I know in your uh, corporate world, Charlie, because all you do is get money from corporations, yes, so in your view, yes, she would be quite radical, but to sane people and principled people, uh, she's not radical at all. And Nancy Pelosi, you know what? I'll actually take this a step further. Nancy Pelosi, yes, she is radical because... She is, but she's not radical in the sense that she's a radical leftist. No, she is one of those center to center right Democrats. That's just a fact. And if you don't like it, I'm sorry. But again, this is an example of you being the postmodernist that Jordan Peterson rails against and claims that the left is full of these postmodernists uh, post that don't care about uh, objective reality. They think everything is subjective. No, that applies to, to a lot of these mainstream conservative pundits and organizations. They are the postmodernists, not uh, Democrats or the left. So anyway, uh, carry on. Come on. Come on, Charlie. Florida. You look at uh, now Governor-elect Ron DeSantis, what he was able to do there. It's absolutely amazing to energize younger voters and even African-American female voters in a way that really defied conventional norms. Should the president visit colleges in 2019? Absolutely. Without question. That would be amazing. Yes. Colleges, without question. It, it really matters. Um, he's got to engage the youth more. Interesting. And, and I think that the, the future of this country depends on it. All right. I think we have another question here. Yes, um, my question had to do with 2020 and the election coming up. It's not too early to plan for it, and there are some that are saying that in the suburbs we lost ground. I'm wondering how we can make up for it when we have 92% of the media going against us. Go ahead, Katrina. Well, we lost a little bit of ground in the suburbs, but in some areas we didn't. Um, I don't know if those numbers have come out yet. Um, but I'll also say, you know, one of the things that the president is very good at is, you know, speaking directly to the American public, um, which is why the rallies are so important and why going to college campuses would be an amazing opportunity to talk directly to young people. Because what President Trump does, what most pol politicians, at least on the Republican side, doesn't do is speak directly about the issues. Uh, for so long, you've had GOP candidates who want to talk about philosophy and they want to talk about their 341 point plan uh, to fix the economy where Donald Trump just says, I'm going to bring you jobs. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z to do it. And that's what young people want. They want to know that when they get out of college, they're going to have a job. They want to know that their future is bright. Okay. Last word. Candace. And I just wanted to add what, what we lost in the suburbs, we can certainly make up for in the projects. I think that black America is paying attention right now and that he should go there and he should speak to them because as the left appeals more and more to illegal aliens, there's one group of individuals that are being forgotten about and that's black america right so here we go again the another uh right-wing strategy is basically pitting minorities against each other and uh you're basically saying you know 
Hey, uh, black people, you know what your problem is? Uh, Mexican immigrants. Don't look at Wall Street. Don't look at big banks. Don't look at corporations. It's these, it's these dirty Mexicans that are the problem. Uh, so, you know, look, look the other way. It's not the Republicans. It's not, it's not, uh, uh, it's not, again, it's not Wall Street. It's, uh, it's not the capitalists. It's, uh, these, you know, these mooching parasite illegal immigrants that are the problem. So, uh, that's, uh, what she's doing there. Now, I, I like, uh, some of the stuff that, uh, Katrina said where, yes, I totally agree that president, uh, that, that, uh, that politicians should use the strategy that President Trump has used, which is you rally all the time and you get your base fired up and you um, and you speak directly to them and don't do this word salad bullshit uh, that a lot of politicians do uh, on in, in both parties. Uh, and uh, you just you, you you outline your policies, boom, 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 boom. And it's funny how uh, Bernie Sanders did the same thing, but she didn't mention Bernie Sanders. So that's interesting. Uh, so I agree with some of the stuff that, that she said there, but, uh, good God. Uh, that, that was just hilarious. Anyway, um, so you guys can check out those clips for yourselves on YouTube. Uh, Let's get into uh, the news now. So this is from the World Socialist website again. Uh, and this is about um, the government shutdown, which before I get into the article itself, uh, I would like to say that I have a very mixed opinion of, uh, of government shutdowns. On the one hand, I love them because I'm an anarchist. Uh, and uh, less government, the better, in my opinion. The less statism, the better. However, I do sympathize with government workers and, and how this impacts them at the federal level, and I think they should be compensated uh, during government shutdowns. So I do feel bad for them, but on the other hand, again, I, I, I do <laughs> uh, secretly... Or, or, or subtly like the idea of of government shutdowns. And this article is pretty long, so I'll just give you uh, the first few paragraphs. The partial shutdown of the uh, U.S. federal government entered its second week on Saturday. And the, uh, sorry, the uh, uh, article title is Impact on Workers... Sur- Workers and services spreads as government shutdown as U.S. shutdown enters second week. There we go. Uh, Patrick Martin is the author of this piece here. So he says the partial shutdown of the U.S. federal government entered its second week on Saturday with thousands of workers receiving sh- uh, short paychecks uh, on December 28th and 800,000 set to receive no pay at all. Uh, when the next paycheck is supposed to be due on January 11th. Both the Trump White House and the Democratic leadership in Congress are uh, completely indifferent to the consequences for federal employees and workers at myriad government subcontractors, as well as the public at large, as the impact of the shutdown is felt more widely following the Christmas holiday. 
Wednesday, December 26th was the first regular day of work after the shutdown began at 12.01 a.m. on Saturday morning, December 22nd. Workers with weekend uh, work schedules, including that Saturday, were not paid for those hours in the checks they received that Friday. A total of 800,000 workers in nine federal departments and numerous agencies will receive no pay January 11th if the shutdown continues, an outcome that is now widely predicted. The Office of Personnel Management uh, sent out draft letters Thursday to federal workers who have either been furloughed or designated as essential employees and ordered to work without pay. The letters urged workers to call their landlords if they are renters or mortgage companies, if they are buying a home, as well as other major creditors, and attempt to get their payment obligation obligations deferred during the shutdown. And uh, so the agency basically said, that will contact these these uh, departments, these these uh, creditors, uh, but uh, we won't take any legal action against them. We won't provide you with legal assistance. Uh, we won't do that. We instead recommend that you consult your own attorney. So basically, and I like how he puts it uh, in this article, the author, uh, he says, in other words, you're on your own. So even the unions aren't going to take any action. So this is just, this is an insane, uh, insane story. And it's just, again, it doesn't need to be, look, honestly, like I said, I don't care about the wall. If you want to build it, go ahead. But you shouldn't have to, you shouldn't rely on taxpayers to get it done. You just shouldn't do that. Um, and yes, I agree that five billion dollars is not that much, but again, it you know these senators are rich enough to where they could pool money out of their own pockets and pay for it. Uh, so, uh, including Trump himself. Uh, he claims he's worth ten billion dollars. Uh, some articles came out that say he's, you know, still uh, in the hundreds of millions, but not a, uh, not ten billion dollars. Uh, and then I, I looked up. Uh, I just googled Donald Trump net worth, which is about in reality, it's about three billion dollars. So he has plenty of money to at least get the wall started. And. Uh, he's probably not going to do that. So this is just a whole, this is a mess. The situation is a mess. And by the way, there should be a law in place where federal workers uh, get, uh, Sorry about that. 
federal workers should mandatorily get uh, paid during a government shutdown when it's not a fault of their own, which, I mean, it's not. Uh, so given the fact that it's not their fault, they shouldn't be punished for it. So the moral of that story is pay the federal workers what they're owed uh, and don't weasel out of it. Uh, pay, pay these workers what they're what they're owed. So the other story I have uh, is called "Climate Change Refugees Share Stories of Escaping Wildfires, Floods, and Droughts" by Aline Brown, and this is for the Intercept, which is Glenn Greenwald's site. So she says. Tens of thousands of U.S. residents were displaced by climate change field disasters in 2018. California saw a string of massive wildfires from the Mendocino Complex in July, which became the state's largest wildfire on record, to the campfire in November, which was the deadliest. Meanwhile, Hurricane Florence, the second rainiest storm in 70 years of U.S. record-keeping, was quickly forgotten as Hurricane Michael slammed into the Gulf Coast, the third strongest ever to make landfall in the U.S. The survivors of the disasters have resorted to camping in tents and retail parking lots, sleeping on friends' couches, parking, uh, parking trailers on the lawns of their destroyed homes, or renting overpriced apartments in communities uh, where housing has become increasingly scarce. Safety nets like flood and fire insurance on, uh, or the Federal Emergency Management Agency or FEMA routinely fall far short of providing the support needed to keep survivors housed, fed, and on their feet. A climate change refugee's pathway to recovery is determined by their savings, family wealth, community connections, and credit scores. While storms and wildfires reduced thousands of homes to ash and rubble or left them covered in mold, slower-moving disasters like sea level rise on the Atlantic and Gulf coasts and erosion-driven and erosion driven by melting permafrost in Alaska are giving scores of communities expiration dates. But the climate refugees left most vulnerable live out left the most vulnerable live outside of the US the years long drought in central america's dry corridor for example is quietly driving subsistence farmers and agricultural workers toward the increasingly militarized US Mexico border and although the US is responsible for most of the climate warming carbon dioxide uh for more climate warming carbon dioxide emissions than any other responsible or sorry than any other country in the world its asylum system does not account for those escaping drought indeed in a world where climate change is already fueling uh, massive movements of people hardly any nations officially recognize the existence of the climate change refugee so they just go through examples of climate change uh, refugees and personal stories. I'm not going to get into that. But basically, this goes to what I was saying earlier of you have a lot of conservatives and even some Democrats who 
uh, are bought off by fossil fuel companies and therefore they don't they're not going to enact a legislation that hurts the sorry that hurts the profits of those fossil fuel companies so nothing gets done about it and then of course there's the right-wing dodge of but china is uh impacting the environment as well that's true but we have sway over our own country so we should and we claim to be the biggest you know in terms of like influence the most powerful country in in the world then let's take action now and set an example for the rest of the world. And you think we have a, a a refugee crisis now and an illegal immigration crisis now and an asylum crisis now? You ain't seen nothing yet, folks. Uh, it's going to get worse. There are certain areas of the world that are going to be uninhabitable because of climate change. And yes, again, it's real. Yes, we could cherry pick certain scientists that have been found to have been pushing climate change because they were uh pushed into it by the uh sorry by the government but uh the overwhelming majority are just regular scientists so anyway moving on to the next story rapid fire here um this is from the hill and it says uh by Nathaniel Wexel, Wexel, Wexel. Per, per, uh, forgive me for not knowing how to pronounce that. Um, but he says uh, Medicare for all. At uh, Medicare for all advocates emboldened by Obamacare lawsuit, and rather than read the article, I'm just going to summarize it for you. So basically, it talks about how the Democrats, uh, how how there are. Uh, especially in the Democratic base, uh, they are increasingly uh, passionate about advocating for Medicare for All, which is a single-payer system. And basically, they've been uh, emboldened even more to push for this uh, this policy because of the Obamacare lawsuit that's going on in Texas where uh, a judge basically ruled that Obamacare is unconstitutional. And it basically goes through how some, some uh, Democrats support this, while others uh, do the whole, oh, we can't afford it right now, or we can't, or, or you know, it's, it's the, uh, they just weasel out of it, I should say. So, um, so I think that Obamacare, again, is a very centrist health care plan, and even center-right, really. Uh, and it's not really nearly as big of a uh, socialist. It's not like a socialist system like it's made out to be. So um, I support Medicare for All. I, I have gone a little bit back and forth on it, but now I'm firmly in the, yeah, Medicare for all uh, is the way to go. Now, the real answer to the healthcare system in this country is to collectivize it and make it completely uh, anarcho-syndicalist. So, um, uh, 
an anarcho-syndicalist industry. So anyway, uh, that's what I support. And there's this uh, growing, they talk about this growing caucus within the Democratic Party called the Medicare for All Caucus. And I totally would like to see that grow and prosper. So uh, yeah, Medicare for All is the way to go. Now, some people would argue, well, why do I have to pay for for somebody else to have health care? And my response to that is, what if that was you in that situation? You know, it, it, it's okay to say that. You know, it, it's fine for you to say that until you are impacted. Then, uh, and maybe you didn't uh, get a, a sufficient amount of health insurance to cover, let's say, cancer surgery or whatever, like removing a tumor. Then what are you going to do? You know, so then, you, you know, a Medicare for all system suddenly sounds a lot more appealing to you, doesn't it? So that's what I have to say to that. Um, it's just... You know, it's just insane where, you know, these people, there are these people in this country that are like, if it doesn't affect me, I don't care. But then as soon as it affects them, all of a sudden, now they're caring. So uh, I totally support Medicare for all. And it would actually save us at least $2 trillion, according to uh, the, Mercatus, the Mercatus Institute, which uh, is a libertarian think tank. And they were trying to disprove uh, the proponents of Medicare for All's claim that it would support, or sorry, that it would uh, save money. But instead, they actually found that, oh my goodness, look at that. It actually does save money. Uh, the advocates of Medicare for All are right. So... Medicare for all, man. That's the that's the the temporary answer, and the real answer is to have workers take complete control of the healthcare industry and every other industry. So that does it for that story. Here's the final story that I have for you guys, which uh, is an article in the Russian news agency TASS, which is. Uh, a very, it is a very factual source. You know, it's probably as factual as you're going to get in Russia. Uh, and it's one of those things where, yes, when they talk about Russian stories, they, uh, you have to take it with a grain of salt. But in general, TASS, especially when talking about international affairs, is a very uh, factual source to use. So... Uh, it says, uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin has sent his best wishes to U.S. President Donald Trump on the occasion of Christmas, of the Christmas and New Year holidays, uh, the Kremlin press informed. In his message, Putin stressed that Russian-U.S. relations are a key factor of ensuring strategic stability and international security. The Russian leader also confirmed Russia's readiness for dialogue with the U.S. on a wide variety of issues. Putin also sent his best wishes to former President George W. Bush. 
and uh, I think that's that's the whole of the article. It's a very short article. It is. Uh, so that's a very uh, quick news blurb there, and I absolutely, uh, like I said in my previous podcast, I support us improving our relations with Russia because they could be a very important ally uh, in that region of the world because basically Russia and Iran as well, they serve as like buffers between East and West and the Middle Eastern region is obviously very chaotic and they could be a very important ally in helping us figure out what to do about the Middle East in a productive and diplomatic way. So... Uh, and, and and the thing about Russian relations is we've both screwed each other in the past, but we've especially screwed them. We said we were going to get out of the, uh, I forget what it was called, but it was the, I think the AMBT or ABMT, something like that, which was a treaty that said that we were going to, yeah, ABMT, yeah. Um, that that both of us, Russia and the U.S., were going to reduce our nuclear capabilities. Russia did their part. We did not do ours, and Putin got really pissed uh, because of that. And as he should have. And then we also promised, uh, we, we, we built this base in Kyrgyzstan, which is sort of near Russian territory. Um, and we promised Putin that it would be uh, a temporary thing. And then after, it was during the Iraq war. And then uh, later on in Bush's presidency, um, he said, oh, did I say that we... Uh, we're going to stay there just temporarily. Oh, sorry. I meant permanently. So we kept the base there. And that pissed Putin off. And Barack Obama, by the way, uh, initially promised Putin and, and uh, Medvedev that he was going to renew uh, the ABMT. And he didn't do that. He didn't do that. So that angered Putin even more. So we've got to calm things down with Russia. And again, we've got to work with them to be a very you know, important and key ally or at least a neutral body, a neutral state. Uh, because it's just, it, it's not only um, just out of compassion, but it's also you know, our own interests involved where they could be very, very helpful uh, in negotiations with uh, with countries like Iran and Syria uh, with issues that really, really need to be resolved in a diplomatic way. Um, so I totally support Putin. Uh, and Trump getting together and softening uh, the relationship between 
the U.S. and Russia, which has been strained for over 70 years. So absolutely 100% support that. And I don't care about the Democrats fear-mongering about, oh, Putin, uh, Trump's doing Putin's bidding and blah, 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 blah. You know, uh, in this case, if it is like a, a, a Putin's bidding thing, good. You know, I want relations improved with Russia. I want us to get along with Russia. And that was one of Donald Trump's campaign promises was, hey, man, I want us to get along with Russia again. I want to get along with Putin. I, I'd be open to that. So I absolutely support this. And... Uh, I don't care if it's Trump that's doing it. I support anybody that's going to improve our relations uh, with Russia. And I don't care that Putin's the president of Russia. I just care that our relations with the country in general are improved because they they uh, could be very important uh, in the interests of the United States and especially uh, in uh, diplomatic areas. We've got to work things out. And Russia could definitely help us do that. But first, we have to work out our relationship with them and we have to repair it uh, with them. So I absolutely uh, support this and I hope it works out, man. And I hope Trump ignores the media criticism and the criticism from Democrats and even some Republicans uh, with this trying to reestablish diplomatic ties with Russia. Uh, you know, some people are saying, oh, it's a sign of weakness and blah, 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 blah. You know, Russian meddling. What about that? You know, you're being too soft. And, you know, it's like, don't uh, project your own lack of security about your manhood uh, onto Trump. Because, I mean, well, first of all, he's also insecure about his... Uh, Manhood, but that's what this toughness talk is all about. Is you're just trying to emas you're, you're you're trying to prove yourself to be this masculine, uh, this masculine party, and and even the Democrats too. You're these like masculine, tough politicians, and really you're just overcompensating. I'm sorry, but that's the truth. So those are some of the the more major. Uh, stories that have happened since I've been away and I will see you guys again uh, and talk to you guys again probably in the next few days but I just wanted to talk to you guys today because I miss you guys so that wraps it up for me and I will see you guys next time here on the Left Side of Liberty podcast. Uh, be safe. Uh, be happy. You know, um, uh, don't let anybody ever, ever push you around. And I will see you guys next time. Thanks. <laughs>